0: that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord.
1: Thank you. (coughs) Amazing. Well, we today are coming to the end of a sermon series, and we are also at the same time launching into a new sermon series for Lent. Um, So I thought the whole reason why we did the series before backwards was for this very moment, because it's the turning moment. It made sense of how we do the sermon series. There's lots of reasons why that was a really silly idea, but practically speaking, this sermon is easier to give because of the way we've done this sermon series. You'll be happy to know, do you feel happy to know that? <laughs> Good. So, uh, so what, we're coming right to the end of this this series. We're looking at the seven kind of practices or postures that we as a church uh, are longing to adopt, believing that as we do this, God will produce joy in our lives. Joy from the joy that comes really from being known by God, becoming more like Jesus, and being filled and used by the Holy Spirit. So that's been that's been the kind of the purpose, if you like. And we've we've entitled the series The Pursuit of Joy, because we believe as we adopt these postures. God will fill us with all joy. And so what we've looked at over the seven weeks, and I recommend going back and having a listen to this series, but we looked at practicing Sabbath um, rather than the endless hurry and busyness, practicing hospitality, and in so doing, breaking prejudice and exclusion, practicing generosity, and and in so doing, that breaking selfishness and the endless accumulation of stuff. that doesn't last anyway. Practicing witness, being, being people who know the good news of Jesus Christ and are willing to share it. Practicing mission, being aware of our purpose um, to bring the kingdom of God to the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, prioritizing formation by allowing ourselves to be honest, honest and vulnerable and to be shaped into the likeness of Christ. And that being done in the context of deep fellowship around scripture and discipleship. And today... Um, We're looking at prioritizing the presence of God, being people who make it their business to seek God's face through worship, prayer, fasting, and waiting. And and for me, actually, this is the most important priority. Um, Everything kind of flows out of this. If you want to and prioritise formation, that begins in the presence of God. If you want to be a people of mission, that begins in the presence of God. If you want to adopt, um, uh, sorry, telling people about Christ, if you want to be generous, if you want to practice hospitality, and uh, be people who prioritise Sabbath, it all begins with the presence of God. And so that's what we're going to look at today, what it looks like to be a people of his presence. And, I, and I'm believing, actually, some of the stuff I've written down really challenged me, and I'm really praying it's really significant for us as a little church. So listen back to that. And then uh, today, then we start a new series on prayer. Um, so Pete Gregg has written a whole bunch of really helpful books. This one in particular, um, I found to be Quite helpful, although I've only read the first chapter. It was a very good first chapter. Um, but I've listened to all these talks that you've given, and uh, so I recommend this um, in faith. <laughs> and I didn't want to lie and said I've read it when I haven't completely finished it yet. So, you know, the transparency, honesty, that's what Beth talked about last week, right? I don't want to lie to you. You don't want that. So... We're going to move forward in a series in prayer, and we're going to be looking at over these coming weeks this acronym that Pete Gregg offers on prayer. So, P R A Y, pray. He said, uh, he talked about what, what was the acronym that we all learnt as a, as a child? Um, Acts, yeah, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Like well, teaching our children supplication. And Pete Greg's like, what does that even mean? Does anybody know what supplication means? So, he offers pause, rejoice, ask, and yield, or instead of yield, yes. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at, and then we'll throw a cheeky one in—a browned unanswered prayer as well. So that's where we're headed in the lead up to um, uh, Easter, and my—I guess my hope for this series is that um, we as a church will both both be inspired and equipped in our prayer life, and and that our prayer life really pursuing the presence of God, pursuing pursuing His. Communion with him, I suppose, and pursuing his kingdom would be um, a massive priority um, for us as we launch into into this this season um, of church planting. Um, It's very exciting. And so here's a little thing that I'd love you to adopt before I dive into presence about how we might like to pray together during Lent, if you're up for this. I want to offer you three things um, that I'm trying to do, and I encourage you to join me um, as we make prayer a bit more of something that we just do. I'm not going to ask you to do something completely onerous. that will take up all of your time. But I'm asking, I think, three points in the day um, where I'd love you to think about how you might pray. So first thing, um, pray in the morning. Um, and the way that you might do this, it might be you already have a, a quiet time. But uh, I think that prayer in the morning, if I could describe, would be one of consecration. One at the beginning of the day, you say, Lord, I'm yours. Use me as you will. Um, and that might take half an hour. It might take two minutes on your knees but it is an active kind of moment of consecration god would you use me this day to further your kingdom so that's the first one a prayer of consecration in the morning at midday put a little alarm on your phone and pray the lord's prayer just stop whatever you're doing if you're around other people who know the lord's prayer say let's pray the lord's prayer together and just make that a practice of praying the lord's prayer and then the last thing which you might have heard me speak about this before, but the prayer of examine at the end of the day. Take a moment, and it's four hours. I'd love you to consider when you're doing the prayer of examine. Again, this doesn't need to take more than five minutes, but the prayer of examine is a moment of reflection. So you look, you just think through the day. Where have we, what's happened? And then in the midst of that reflection, rejoice. Give thanks for the things that God has done. Repent for those moments where maybe you didn't quite do what you should have done. And then lastly, Reboot before going to sleep. So there are three things. A prayer of con- consecration in the morning. Lord, I'm yours. Use me as you will. Um, midday, Lord's Prayer. And then the third one um, being a, a moment of e- examine, um, where you examine yourself, even though it's not spelled examine like that. So that's the first thing I'd love you to do this, uh, this Lent. And secondly is a small group. And I've spoken about small groups so far. But if you haven't, let us know which small group you'd like to be in or whether you want to be in a small group. Please do let me know, because I start this week. Um, and I'd love everybody to be a part of it, or at least have the opportunity. I know that it's not always possible for people, so there's no pressure. But if, if, if that would be a blessing to you, I know small groups have been a blessing to me in the past. So that's what we're doing. Right, so that, that's all. I'll put that in the email that will come out tomorrow um, about the three times we're going to pray in small groups. Is that okay? Does that feel achievable? At, at worst, it's 15 minutes of prayer a day, five minutes, three times a day. I reckon we got that time in our diary. I hope so. Today, prioritizing the presence of God, seeking God's face through prayer, through worship, through waiting on Him in silence and with expectation, um, seeking Him through Scripture and God's presence is where we're meant to be. That's where we're designed to be in the very presence of God. That's why, we like I would say, that the greatest tragedy in in human history is that found in Genesis chapter 3. In that moment where um, mankind kind of rebelled or disobeyed God and said, I don't want to be in relationship with you. And in so doing, we're kind of... moved out of God's presence excluded from his presence and so our sin and our brokenness in that moment in the garden um, caused and still causes in many ways the breakdown of our relationship with God with others and with the world and we can see that in our world today can't we we see the consequences of human choices um, and how they can cause the breakdown of relationships with God others and the world. There's this moment in in human history where through our own disobedience we are separated from the very presence of God. Greatest tragedy in human history. Um, But when we read in the gospel, we know that, that God's pursuit of us would not be thwarted by our own sinfulness. Our own choices wouldn't disqualify us from the presence of God. He came running. And this is the gospel that we hold on to. God, in his great love for us, has made a way in Jesus for us to be in his presence again. Jesus paid the penalty of sin that should have been ours and paved a way for us to come back home to God into his presence. And so therefore, for those who want and those who believe, God's presence is something we can enjoy today. Um, And as we read in the Psalms, uh, we can see that this becomes a priority. Um, for those who write the Psalms, David in particular. And and we see the joy and the fulfillment and the hope that we find in the presence of God. And so during this this vision series, in speaking about the priority of spending time in God's presence, I asked you a couple of questions, kind of self-reflection questions, if you like, about, um, you know, if you were to... Uh, ask yourself, um, whose presence do you long to be in more than any other? What would be the answer? Um, Who or what is your heart turned towards? Who or what um, shapes your identity? Um, What does your thought life or your use of your time or how you spend your money reveal about who you actually worship? And when you reflect on those questions, certainly when I reflected on those questions, it's not God that was revealed to me. When I was asked the question, "What is the what is my heart's affection t- turned towards?" Um, and it can be a whole sort, a whole host of things, can be football team, spouse, job, children. Maybe it's a dream or a hope that you're holding above all other things. And and it's not to say that, that, that these things aren't good things. You know, they they are. All of these things are good things, um, but they can't bear the weight of being ultimate things. Uh, they can't be treated like God because. Um, they, they, well, I guess in one sense it's unfair for you to treat them like they're God. Um, ultimately, if you go for, if you put your hope and your, you set your heart towards things that aren't God, um, they will ultimately leave you disappointed and thirsty uh, and let you down. I've been watching The Crown. Has anyone been watching The Crown? Anyone up to date on The Crown? It's been fun. It surprised me. I didn't think I'd like it, but I really did. And I'm disappointed that season three is over. But there's this moment, and this does have spoilers, and honestly, I don't care. Um, So (laughs) there's this moment where uh, Prince Philip, he gets the opportunity to meet with the astronauts after they've landed on the moon, right? And he sits down in front of them, and it were Buzz Aldrin, uh, uh, Neil Armstrong, and Michael Collins. So he sat in front of these guys, and he was like... Prince Philip is doing like a self-assessment about how how had he achieved really anything in his life. Um, it was, obviously, yeah, because Prince Philip but he, Um, But he, uh, sorry,
0: the married, the married
1: queen. queen. <laughs> yeah, it is an achievement. And so he sat there and he like he want, he wants to know like you know what are the what insights what sort of gems are these men who have like stood on the moon going to be able to give to prince philip and it's a fascinating scene where prince philip is utterly disappointed that they're just deeply ordinary men who got the job mostly because they were uber intelligent but they were very good at following the rules and if you follow the rules in a ver- in a scientific kind of a way then you're the best possible person to go to the moon and they ended up this conversation kind of got turned around they're like oh tell us about um, they were desperate to meet speak to Prince Philip and hear about all the things that he 'd been involved in his expectation and so on and it, it just it just struck me isn 't it when you put people on a pedestal um, like that and you and you think they 're going to hold the answer and they 're going to tell you know change my life or whatever it might be so often when you meet with them it 's like Oh, I remember when I was a teenager, I, I idolized Martin Smith in a very unhealthy way. In Australia, I had pictures of Martin Smith on my computer, and I wanted to lead worship like him, and I got one of those belts that had he had one that said like Jesus on the back. And I was like, ah, he is the ultimate guy. And if I meet him, my life will be utterly changed. And I remember meeting him, and I was like blubbering. And then I walked away and I thought, well. I mean, I know what I was feeling, but he hasn't changed my life. And then it's like recently, like the, the, the news of Jean Venier, right? And so many people were talking, you know, I remember watching an interview with Nicky Gumbel and him and thinking, gosh, this guy, this guy. But then even with him, you see, like the rest of us, <laughs> we're capable of such good, but we're also capable of such Terrible, terrible evil. C.S. Lewis was right, wasn't he? We, the line of good and evil kind of runs through the heart of every person. We are capable of enormous good, but also enormous evil. And confession to you, I am no exception. <laughs> that line of good and evil runs through the very heart of me. And I am capable of doing good things and having good ideas. And I'm also capable of making terrible mistakes and doing the wrong Thing. And so uh, just as a little warning or a caveat one year into this uh, church plant, if you put me and Dizzy up on a pedestal um, and you put all of your hopes and dreams into us about how church is going to be and it's going to fulfill your life and all that sort of stuff, I'm going to save you the time now and let you know we're going to let you down massively um, because we're human um, and what we're trying to do, our very best. And we're going to make a bunch of mistakes, and we'll get one or two things right along the way. Is try and point you to Jesus, because if I point in any way, and I said this when we were church, we were trying to gather a team for church planting. So don't gather around Diz and I, because we will, you know, we've, I you know I can, I can. I've got some good cliches that will make you feel. Stuff, but ultimately, that's it. You know, the closer you get, hopefully, uh, you can see Jesus in me, and that's actually what you're drawn to. Not anyway. That's an aside. Please don't put me on a pedestal. I'll let you down, not intentionally, but I am human, and you know, you know how it is. And so, I'm not God. And and the only thing that can fill the longings of our heart is God. In Ecclesiastes. the, the the writer, the teacher, says that everything's meaningless. He talks about it being, it's like this Hebrew word, hevel, I think. It's all hevel, it's vapour, it's smoke, it's meaningless. The more you pursue all of these things that life has to offer, the more you realise as you hold onto it, it kind of dissipates in your hand. And, you know, even I watched a documentary. I mean, this is a confession as well as an example. I watched a documentary about Taylor Swift. And uh, in her documentary, she tells the story of how she'd achieved every one of her life goals by the age of 22. And she said, I was on the top of the mountain. I was utterly alone. And I didn't know what was next. Is this it? Is what he, she was asking. And what we find is when we set our hearts towards anything other than God, we will be left thirsty and hungry and unfulfilled, and we'll find ourselves on this kind of treadmill that never ever ends. Um, but Augustine, that legend, he says, Thou hast put salt on our lips that they may thirst for. The Christian, so many Christians actually naffly say this. you probably heard it. It's naffly. Is that a good application of that word? Who cares? Naffly say that God has created in us a God-shaped hole in our hearts that we try and fill with all manner of different things. And we realize very quickly in that pursuit of trying to fill the God-shaped hole with all sorts of different things that our chief aim in life is to know God and be known by him. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, one of my faves. Um, He writes this, we pursue God because, and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to this pursuit. God has put a pursuit in our very hearts that we would long for more. And the answer, the more, we try all sorts of things. We want more, we want more, we want more. And then we find out eventually that what that more is, is God. And we see this in this psalm today. So in Psalm 27, and Psalm begins. It's like my favorite Psalm in the whole world. So I got very excited about preaching on it. You know, it begins with The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Like in the midst of life's struggles and difficulties and so on. The Lord is protects and looks after and guides. And then going down to verse um eight, seven, seven and a half. Hear my voice when I call the Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. My heart, so my mind, not somebody else. is my heart, this internal driver says, I need to seek his face. So we seek his face. My, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, and there's a whole bunch of other things in all this world that will forsake you. Though my father and my mother forsake you, the Lord will receive me will not be disappointed when you seek God's face. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, so wait for him. I remain confident of this. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for him. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In other words, if you want to see the goodness of the Lord in your life, don't give up. Keep pursuing him. And what I've noticed when you look at um, at Scripture, everything in life, every good thing is given birth in the presence of God. Take the beginning of all things, the Holy Spirit hovering over the water, creating all things that was good. Take Abraham, a nation was created from the very presence of God and in counsel with him. Take Moses before the burning bush. He was then catapulted into saving Israel. Take Mary, encounter with the, with the angel, an encounter with God, led to her giving birth to the Messiah, Elizabeth. Take anyone who met Jesus. Take Zacchaeus. He encountered God and utterly transformed his life. Take the woman caught in adultery. Her life was transformed. Take the disciples of the early church in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit fills them and compels the church to transform the world, we are still feeling the effects of those disciples being filled by the Holy Spirit. Take Paul, the chief persecutor of the early church, encounters Jesus and becomes the chief writer of the New Testament. So remember, like the butlers a couple of weeks ago with that interview, an encounter with God utterly transformed their life. Take me, a random bloke from back in Australia in the sticks who encountered Jesus as a 16-year-old in his bed. And I knew in that moment that I was loved and held and had a purpose in God, and it transformed my life. Everything happens in the presence of God. And, and, and when, in the presence of God, we know that we have access to God because of what Jesus did and because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through you. And so in the presence of God, people are made whole and alive, are made free. And then, through this healing, this work of the Holy Spirit, in our lives, in this moment of seeking his face, we then get the great joy of introducing others into his presence and seeing their lives transformed. So we need to prioritize God's presence. This is an invitation this morning. Don't hear it as any sort of judgment. It's an invitation to seek his face and know that you are loved by him. Tozer, are you ready? This one might knock you off your chair. Um, but I felt like I needed to. I, I read it and I was like, it nearly knocked me off my chair. So in this book, see of God, recommend it. It's very, very punchy. This is what Tozer says. Hear it as if Tozer is saying to you, saying it to you, rather than me. Uh, that way. You're not like him instead of me. I want to deliberately encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low state. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Ah Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present, or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted too bad that with many of us he waits so long so very long in vain oh i feel that and so the invitation today is this i seek his face make his presence the priority of your heart and of your life. And we know that God is omnipresent, right? He's always with us everywhere at all times. What I also want to make a distinction of is that we long for the manifest presence of God as well, for him to turn his face towards us like we see in Psalm 27. And I think it's an important distinction between the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God. So Nick Drake, who I trained with, he did this This. PhD in what's going on in charismatic worship. He's like, why are there moments where we encounter the tangible presence of God? And he writes this all through this area of the church. God is, of course, omnipresent, but there also are, sorry, but also there are local times and places and spaces where He is actively at work in a particular, manifest, tangible, intensified way. This is not merely our more open to Him, nor is it our tuning into what He's already going on. Although both of these are happening, there is also His choice, His momentum. His openness to our particularity, this particular place, in this particular time. And so there's a sense in which we do open ourselves up to the presence of God, but we understand that it's He that turns His face. It's His choice to turn. That's what we long for. It's what we pray for. God, turn your face towards us because it's His initiative. It's not our work or our tuning in or any of that kind of stuff. That's important. It's not transactional like that. We're praying that God will turn His face towards us. And so I think this is what we see in Psalm 27. And so this is why I long for for us as a church, that we would long for him, that we would have a certain desperation for him, that you would heed God's invitation to you this morning to seek his face and know that everything flows from there. Keep Jesus the affection of Your heart, and that's why we're prioritizing it. That's why I'm going to keep going with the furnace, even if only two people turn up, because I know that that needs to be the absolute cornerstone of what we're about: pursuing the presence of God for our sake and for the sake of Felton. And so, I want to invite you: come and join us in that corporate moment of prayer at the furnace, but also in your private lives, make this a priority to seek His face and trust that He will turn His face towards you and when he looks upon you gosh it is amazing let me finish with a story it's a long one I'm really sorry that's why I've been rushing so far because I felt like this was very encouraging so I remember listening to a talk by Pete Hughes um, who's a pastor at KXC and he was recal- he was reading from the diaries of a guy called Duncan Campbell Now, for those of you who don't know, Duncan Campbell is like a Scottish revivalist, and he was involved in the leadership of what became the Hebridean revival. Um, And I remember listening to this um, from uh, from his diaries, and it got to a certain point, and I started weeping, like in a way that I've never known. And I was like, what the heck are you doing, you thought? And I knew what it was. I had this deep longing for the presence of God in my life that would flow out and transform a town, and that's what we saw in the Hebridean revival. And so let me read this to you. It is a little bit long, but hopefully it'll be inspiring. So get comfortable, and this is how we want to finish. So this is what Duncan Campbell said when recounting the revival that happened in the Hebrides. Um, if you've heard this before, soz. And now I'm sure that you'll be interested to know how in November 1949, this gracious movement began on the island of Lewis. Two old women, one of them 84 years of age and the other 82, one of them stone blind and greatly burdened because of the They were were greatly burdened because of the appalling state of their own parish. It was true that not a single young person attended public worship. Not a single young man or young woman went to church. They spent their days perhaps reading or walking, but the church was left out of the picture. And so these two women, 82-year-olds, 84-year-olds, were greatly concerned, and they made it a special matter of prayer. The verse gripped them. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. They were so burdened that both of them decided to spend so much time in prayer twice a week. So on Tuesday, remember the 82 and 84. On Tuesday, they got on their knees at 10 o'clock in the evening. And they remained on their knees until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Two old women in a very humble cottage. One night, one of his sisters had a vision. Now, remember, in, God, in revivals, God works in wonderful ways. A vision came to one of them. And in the vision, she saw the church of her fathers crowded with young people, packed to the doors, and a strange minister standing in the pulpit. And she was impressed by the vision that she sent for the parish minister. And, of course, he knowing the two sisters, knowing that they were two women who knew God in a wonderful way, he responded to their invitation and called at the cottage. That morning, one of the sisters said to the minister, you must do something about it. And I would suggest that you call your office bearers together and that you spend with us at least two nights in prayer in the week. Tuesday and Friday, if you gather your elders together, you can meet in a barn. A farming community, you can meet in a barn. (laughs) A nice little extra comment there for you. And as you pray there, we will pray here. Well... That was what happened. The minister called his office bearers together, and seven of them met in the barn to pray on Tuesday and on Friday, and the two old women got on their knees and prayed with them. Ugh, it's about to get crazy. Well, this continued for some weeks, right? So we like, do you want the presence of God? Do you want a revival? <laughs> like, this is, this is like... Yeah, so this continued for some weeks indeed, almost half, a month and a half until one night, now this is what I'm anxious for you to get a hold of, one night they were kneeling there in the barn pleading this promise, I'll pour water on him that is thirsty, floods upon the dry ground. When one young man, a deacon in the church, got up and read Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of God, who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul up unto vanity or sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing, not a blessing, but the blessing of the Lord. And then the young man closed his Bible. He looked down at the minister and the other office bearers, and he said this may be crude words, but perhaps not so crude in our Gaelic language. He said, it seems to me that so much humbug to be praying as we're praying, to be waiting as we're waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. Then he lifted his two hands, and I'm telling you just as the minister told me, he lifted his two hands and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And he got no further. The young man fell to his knees and then fell into a trance. Not to ask me to explain this because I can't. He fell into a trance. is now lying on the floor of the barn. And in the words of the minister, at that moment, he and his office bearers were gripped by conviction that God sent, God sent revival must ever be related to holiness, must ever be related to godliness. Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? The man that God will trust with revival, that was the conviction. And what happened in the barn, the power of God swept into the parish and an awareness of God gripped the community such that it hadn't been known in over 100 years. An awareness of God, that's revival. And the following day, the looms were silent. Little work was done on the farms as men and women gave themselves to thinking on eternal things gripped by eternal realities. God put himself on their radar. Now, I wasn't on the island when this happened, but again, one of the sisters sent for the minister and she said, I think you ought to invite someone to the parish. I cannot give a name. But God must have someone in his mind, for he saw a man, for we saw a man in the pulpit, and the man must be somewhere. Well, the minister that was going on to one of the a great conventions in Scotland. At that convention he met a young man and was a student in college, knowing that his, this young man was a God-fearing man, a man with a message. He invited him to the island. Won't you come for ten days? Um, we have had so many of them over the past couple of years, but we feel that something is happening in the parish that we'd like you to attend. The minister said, no, I don't feel like I am this man, But but quite recently, there has been a very remarkable move in Glasgow under the ministry of a man by the name of Campbell. I would suggest that you send for him. Now, at that time, I was in college in Edinburgh. It wasn't very easy for me to leave, but I decided that I should go for 10 days, and I was in the island within 10 days. Now, I shall never forget the night that I arrived at the piers in the mail streamer. I was standing in the presence of the minister, whom I'd never seen, and two of his elders that I never knew. The minister turned to me and said, I know, Mr. Campbell, that you're very tired. You've been traveling all day by train, but to begin with this by steamer. And I'm sure that you're ready for supper and ready for your bed. But I wonder if you'd be prepared to address a meeting in the parish church at nine o'clock tonight on our way home. It will be a short meeting. And then we will make it for the mats and you can have your supper and go to bed and rest until tomorrow evening. Well, it'll interest you to know I never made it to that supper. We got to the church about quarter to nine to find 300 people gathered. I would say about 300 people. I gave an address. Nothing really happened during the service. It was a good meeting. A sense of God and a consciousness of his spirit moving, but nothing beyond that oh i would like come on that's what i want the sense of god what do you mean nothing special so i pronounced the benediction We're leaving the church i would say about a quarter to 11 and just as i was walking down the aisle alongside this young deacon who had read the psalm in the barn he suddenly stood in the aisle looking up to the heavens he said god you can't fail us god you can't fail us you promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground you can't fail us Soon, he's on his knees in the aisle, and he's still praying, and then he falls into a trance again. <laughs> and just then the door's open. It's 11 o'clock. The door of the church opens. The local blacksmith comes back into the church and says, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Oh, we were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And listen, he's done it. He's done it. And he went to the door of the church, and I saw a congregation of approximately 600 people. Where did they come from? What had happened? I believe that very night God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost. And what happens in the early days of the apostles was happening now in the parish of us. Over 100 people were at a dance in the parish hall and they weren't thinking of God or eternity. God was not in all of their thoughts. They were there to have a good night when suddenly the power of God fell upon the dance. The music ceased and in a matter of minutes the hall was empty. They fled from the hall as a man fleeing from a plague and they made for the church. And they were all standing outside, a hunger and a thirst group the people, 600 of them were now standing outside the church. And it just goes on and on, the stories are ridiculous and obs- that's all I've got. But my simple prayer, every time I look at it, I didn't know whether I'd get through that because that—that that is the absolute longing of my heart, that we would seek the presence of God and that we would he would turn his face towards us and there would be an explosion of power in the gospel that goes from this place that transforms our town and beyond. So my simple prayer is this, do it again,
0: do it again. Help us to be a church that seeks your face.